Good afternoon and evening. Thanks, Charlotte, for the aesthetics. It's good. I'm looking out the window and I can see some of the some of the sun, some of the same sun that you see, which is good. We are missing you guys, and um, yeah, it's lovely to be together uh, virtually. But yeah, it's certainly taken an interesting turn, hasn't it? So um, today we are going to start a new series, uh, and the series is actually going to be uh, it's a long, slow walk through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, as I say that, what's your reaction? Thumbs up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> John, he's a bit, um, bit, nervous. <laughs> bit nervous yeah um i think i think probably when you you know when we propose a gospel or something like that and um there's you kind of kind of want to know the why don't you in any of these things you want to know the why and so i thought i i thought i'd start with um start with the why um if i can find a little slide for you um so i wanted to introduce can you see that can you can you see the guy look, that looks quite cold? Yeah. So um, I want to I want to introduce you to the guy on the left, who's sitting in the in the ice, looking more comfortable than perhaps I would. Um, and his name is Wim Hof. So anyone heard of him? Yes, oh, Drew. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Of course you have. Of course you have, Drew. <laughs> is it, okay. So so. Ah, uh, that that could, sorry, that's that's an aside, isn't it? But yeah, definitely Drew has heard of him. So, um, I I heard of uh, Wim Hof because someone told me about him, right? Um, a friend of mine uh, a week or so ago. Um, and this this friend of mine has kind of been suffering insomnia, um, and so he's been uh, looking for answers, right? Looking around for solutions. Uh, and so he's come across this guy called Wim Hof. Now, Wim Hof has a few uh, claims to fame. One of them is that he ran to the height of 23,000 feet on Mount Everest in shorts and sneakers. So that's fairly impressive. Um, the, other, the other is that he is the longest underwater ice... Under ice. Under, under ice swimmer. Yeah, under ice swimmer. Um, so he's gotten... Uh, very popular and um, has, you know, millions of followers on Instagram and YouTube. And one of the things that he advocates is, is a thing called the Wim Hof method uh, and connected to that is taking cold showers. I don't know all of his method, but cold showers is, is a thing. So my friend uh, discovered this guy and heard about the cold shower method and of course, you can imagine what he's doing twice a day now, doing the cold shower thing. And I think, Drew, is that is that where you got the cold shower idea from, mate? Uh, not not directly from Wim Hof. Okay, but you just you've just heard of him. Um, but it's it's quite an extraordinary thing, isn't it? It's in terms of and you look at those guys in the picture there, and they're on um they're on some sort of outing, where the Wim Hof method is being tried. I I don't think they're on Everest, but it's it's clearly a little chilly, and you see the guy um, in that in that mainframe. I mean, he's he's certainly embracing, I guess, the letter of the Wim Hof method, but he's in terms of his beanie. 
<laughs> I don't think it's really working for it. <laughs> the purple skin seems to suggest otherwise as well. But it's a, it fascinates me that um, we, just, we just seem to run after these, these gurus. Um, the, the month before, uh, when I was speaking to my friend about his issue with insomnia, he had found a course on uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, which was a course for insom insomniacs. And so the same sparkling eyes that he had when he was speaking about Wim Hof were the eyes that he had when he was speaking about the CBT course. And then the month before that, he'd found an app which was going to solve his problem. And again, had shared about that with sparkling eyes. And it's, it, it, just, it just fascinates me that we have this, what, I, what I've called this um, next guru syndrome thing in us that we seem to just go from one thing to the next looking for life hacks or, or answers, to our, answers to our problems. Um, and, when, and when the other one gets old, we go to the new one and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I think, I think there's, there's this function on, on your phone, right, um, that has made a lot of money for a certain guy called Infinite Scroll. You know what Infinite Scroll is, right? Um, when you're just on your phone, or like when, when you're on, when you've got any sort of feed, whether it's a Reddit feed or an Instagram feed or anything, and it, it just keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps throwing stuff at you. Like it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. So we live in this, we live in this culture where I think we've got, um, we've got this this desire for answers, and then we've got this um, culture that's just throwing us an infinite number of possibilities uh, to. Uh, to, to whet our appetite and keeps going. So I was thinking about that. Um, and then I thought, I thought I'd just ask this question. Um, if, if, we, if you go back to the previous series, we were, well, a couple of series ago, um, we were talking about the cross and, and talking about us as, as image-bearing, worshipping stewards as being the original intent that God had for us. I was thinking about that and that God actually designed us to bear his image on earth. And if you were a designer and you were thinking, well, what would be the capacity that I would want human to have if they were to, if their job was to bear my image on earth? What capacity would you bake into human? If that makes sense. Maybe it's too, is it too much of a funny question at five o'clock and just give me my GNT and move on? Is that? Just give me the answer. <laughs> just give me the answer. Um, well, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking. I think. I think. Um, I think mimicry is basically the key key capacity. So, if you want, if you want someone to follow you, like to to really reflect you in all your dynamism, um, then you really want. If you want them to actually mirror you, um, then you want to give design in them the capacity to basically mimic, mimic, mimic what you who you are, how you act, what you think, what you feel, um, that capacity should be baked into the design of, of that thing. And I think that's the capacity that's been baked into us. And I think that's why we all suffer from, from next guru syndrome. That basically the way that we learn and the way that we engage with the world is through mimicry, through just through copying. Doesn't sound very creative, but <laughs> if you call it clear copying, um, but it's actually this this wonderful this wonderful thing. It's um it's like when I was when I was painting last night, uh, painting the skirting boards, and I had this moment uh, where I, I moved into a dark corner, and I looked at the skirting board, and I couldn't really see it very well to paint, 
And so, and in my mind, the first thing that came to mind was this, I flashed back to this moment as a kid with my dad painting skirting boards and he had his reading lamp and the reading lamp during that process got a splash of paint on it, which forevermore thoroughly irritated me. But that, but that was, that was what came to mind. So I went into my study and just grabbed the reading lamp and placed it on the ground and then knew, and then had the light that I needed to paint the skirting board, right? Where did all that come from? It just came out of that capacity for mimicry. That was me just watching, watching my dad and then doing what my dad did. Um, so I think it's, I think it's kind of baked into us. So that's, so when we, so when we look at this series um, in Matthew, like we're going back to the core of what Viva is about, where disciples um, who are making disciples. But when we use that word disciple, like we instantly switch to some sort of religious program, right? It's like, oh, that's, that's a religious word. But what I want to suggest to you is that I think that if you, if you again, take a step back and go, well, why was, why was the Gospels, why were the Gospels, why did Jesus even arrive at a time when disciples were normal? Like disciples was a normal word that there were, there were clear, this is the rabbi, these are his followers. Why did Jesus come at that time on earth? And why were the stories about Jesus' life framed up within this framework of discipleship? Like, why was that? What was God thinking at that point? And so what I, what I think um, is that the reason that God did it that way, I don't think it's accidental, I think what it was, what he was doing was actually bringing, like bringing to the top or bringing into the obvious what is actually core to, core to human nature, that we are actually always disciples being discipled, always for all time. It's just the way we've been created. We just mimic. It was just at that time when Jesus was walking around, that structure of <laughs> discipler and, <laughs> and disciple was much more formalized. And so it kind of, brought out that core trait in, in core tr human trait and made it obvious um, and kind of baked in into how we, we, we should and, and can relate to God. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's, um, it makes sense? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah. that's good. I've seen, I've seen nods. You've seen nods. nods. That's yeah. great. Okay, so I think, I think it matters. I think, we're, I think we're being discipled all the time by... All manner of things. We have this new, new next guru syndrome going on. All of us, day in, day out, are submitting ourselves to some sort of discipling process, whether it's about painting, whether it's about uh, financial reports, whether it's about a cooking show. Um, it's all on YouTube. Uh, the, the, the opportunity to learn something from someone who knows more than us uh, is what we long for. And it shapes us um, deeply. So it's not a matter of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a disciple. Uh, it's like we're all disciples. It's just what's discipling or who's discipling you. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the setup for the series. So we want to go back into the life of Jesus. And basically I was thinking like the, the text for today um, that, that we could kind of look at was, was, the, um, was, this, uh, was this text um, that I don't know if I'm sharing with you there. Okay, I'll share. I'll share this screen with you. Um, it was this text, right? And which is a text that you guys all know, right? Jesus came and told his disciples, "I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, 
and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the end of the story. That's the, that's the punchline of Matthew. Um, and I guess what I wanted to do with this series is basically, you know how some movies, they start at the end and then they go, that you, you see this scene, it's a really riveting scene, and then they go three years earlier. <laughs> and, then, and then the movie, movie, movie kicks off and, you, and you, you, you're kind of just there like, oh, how did they, and the whole film you go, how did they get to that point? How did they get to that point? And so I guess as we enter into Matthew, I want, I want us to carry that question. How did they get to that point? Because we all know at Pentecost that the fire came, but I want to suggest to you that the that the walk they that these disciples took with with Jesus for three years was actually the wood being placed in place for the fire that when it came, the thing to really light up and stay sustained as a flame as well. Um, so yeah, so I think it's important to to for us to dive into the life of Jesus again, to meet Jesus for the first time, or to re-meet Jesus, and that's why I've kind of called this series. Um, re-meeting or meeting Jesus. Depending on who you are, you might be, okay, don't know much about Jesus. This is an opportunity to really walk through a book I've never walked through before. And so some of you might say, oh my gosh, I've, I've read this book 50 billion times. But in your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit in there rumbling around, you will want to re-meet Jesus afresh because that's what the Spirit does in us. So I think there's a real invitation for us to, to meet Jesus for the first time or to re-meet Jesus. And so this, today I just wanted to talk really briefly um, about three, three ways of missing that. Um, so I think three ways of, of, of badly reading the Gospels um, and, and therefore three, three, and the flip side of that, no, 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 I don't want to go to that yet. Um, um, and the flip side of that is uh, three, three effective ways of reading the Gospels. Um, so here are the three ways of reading the Gospels to avoid. Number one is buffet Jesus. Number two is unanchored Jesus. And number three is Olympic Jesus. So, um, okay, the first one is buffet Jesus. At a buffet, the food's all laid out, but you just get to pick and choose the bits you like. So Thomas Jefferson was the, was the famous buffet Jesus Bible reader, right? So what he did with the Gospels is he went through and he, he cut out all the miracles. Um, he thought, okay, this is brilliant. Now I've got, now I've finally got Jesus doing what I want him to do. No more miracles. Where I really like his teachings. That was buffet Jesus. We all, but we really all do that. So we we have favorite passages like "Come to me, all you who are weary." But we avoid Jesus's sayings like "I came not to bring peace, but a sword." Just reading the bits of the Gospels that we like can feel really good, um, or better still, not reading them at all. But just hearing someone else talk about them, like on a podcast or a book or a blog. So it makes sure that Jesus is exactly who we want him to be. He thinks the way I think and does what I would do. And the problem in that, as if you've done this for a while, the problem is that is that as we make him into our image, we find not we find some comfort, but no challenge. And over time, Jesus becomes more and more to us more, more, more like us, more two-dimensional and ultimately boring. And you get the point was like, why would I ask Jesus what he thinks when I know all these thoughts are simply what mine are with God's stamp of approval? <laughs> it's kind of that thing, right? Um, so that's, we could talk a lot more about that, but that's kind of buffet Jesus. It's, and it's, it's that imaging God. It's, it's, it's reverse engineering. It's like, it's not us being formed in God's image, but us forming God in our image.
So, so our antidote to buffet Jesus is reading unselectively or uncensored. So the reason, so the, what we're going to do is we're actually going to teach through every verse in, in Matthew. <laughs> so we're not, we're not, we're not editing. Uh, we want to actually, as best as we can, admittedly, we've got all these, all these lenses and everything right going on, but we want to do as best as we can hear Jesus together uncensored. Okay, second, unanchored Jesus. So reading like this involves ignoring any historical basis for the life of Jesus and therefore any idea that his truth claims would be greater than any other. So Jesus' life is like a Greek myth or a moral fable. I can just take what I want and not have my life reordered. And again, I'm comfortable and I'm challenged by Jesus, but over time my heart wanders uh, looking for shinier things with no real reason to preference Jesus' truth claims over any others. So our antidote to, one antidote to unanchored Jesus is to read the Gospels as historical narratives. So the Gospels are not blow-by-blow history. So don't, you don't go to the Gospels looking for a blow-by-blow history, nor are they fantasy. Um, they're historical narratives. And indeed, the Gospels can be read as biographies of Jesus' life. So Matthew was written around 70 to, 70 to 100 AD, and it was strongly informed by the earlier account of Jesus' life written in Mark. And these, these historical narratives... They're really, they're interested in what happened, but they're also really interested in the significance of what happened. So they're interested in Jesus's life, but then they're also looking for the meaning of that, of those events. And they're beautifully crafted, actually, when you, when you see them as historical narratives and you, you, you recognize them as the authors as men who are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as you real, realize that the, the events have really been sequenced very intentionally, then you can begin to see a real coherence to the message of the of the gospel as well. And a second part of reading them as unanchored, uh, or as sorry, as, as historical narrative, is that um, is that we read we read Matthew in the context of the bigger story of Israel. That that's that's really important, and Matthew is really important. It, it really aware of how important that is. So he's through Matthew will keep bumping bumping into Old Testament quotes, and there are actually fifty four of them in Matthew. So he's constantly pointing back to um, the Old Testament story and placing the gospel in that larger story. And then there are actually hundreds and hundreds of allusions back into the Old Testament story of Israel as well. Uh, and, if you, and if you read closely, what you'll see is actually just as you walk through Matthew, you'll see, oh, there's that, there's that story from Israel's life. There's that, there's that, there's that. And they're being reinterpreted and, and re-understood through Jesus. And so you've got this beat of um, there's continuity in terms of how it connects with the story of Israel, but there's also discontinuity because God's doing a new thing. So that's something to look out for as well. Um, and the final one is the Olympic Jesus. Now, I'm not in the Olympics and I never will be, but I love watching them. I can switch on when I want to get excited, feel a sense of camaraderie with the athletes of the team. I can analyze the races, gather statistics, make result predictions, even buy a team T-shirt, but then I can turn it off and get on with my life. And I can do the same with the Gospels, right? I can read the Gospels as an observer, as a spectator. Sometimes I can be enthusiastic, Jesus is fanboy, go team Jesus, or I can be a critic. That's just dated thinking. But on either account, I'm still talking and thinking about it. I'm not doing any of it. And so our antidote to Olympic Jesus reading is to read the Gospels devotionally. Now, I typically turn on a, a reading lamp to read the Bible. Yeah, it's a paper thing. Um, what if... 
Every time we read the Gospels together, we make the heart decision to read this account of Jesus' life under the light of the risen Christ Jesus. Imagine that was your reading lamp. That these actions and these words would are to be cherished and that I would devote myself to them. There's almost like this person Jesus is my muse that I cannot cheer or criticise at a safe distance. I think if I take that stance, then this story begins to make its way to my front door. In short, our antidote to buffet woolly or buffet unanchored or Olympic reading of Jesus is to read Jesus as an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, where's my Zoom thing? Okay, I got the screen there. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of a Venn diagram for you, friends. Um, there's um, there's this really interest, interesting interpretive key right right at the start of the Gospels. Um, Jesus says to people like, "Follow me," and I feel like that's that's the spirit that we need to read the Gospels with. That okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. And there's another question that Jesus asks about midpoint through Matthew, and it's like, "Who do you say I am?" But he doesn't ask his ask ask the people immediately who who they say he is. He actually waits. He actually allows them to walk with him and follow him before he asks them to make that confession. So I think there's an invitation for us as a community to actually slow down, accept that invitation to follow Jesus and kind of embrace that curiosity and that wonder and that, I guess, that sense of little excitement that the, that the first disciples had as they kind of just started to walk that road with Jesus, wondering, 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 who is this man? Who is this man? Um, on one of the one of the things that uh, I have a friend that I that I run with, um, and uh, we we every every Saturday, and we we basically most Saturdays just run the same route. Um, so, and it's a route that it's a circular route, and it goes through the through the streets and through the bush and back again, and. Last Saturday, my friend said to me, hey, let's, let's run it in reverse. And, um, and we did. And suddenly those, those streets and those, those bushes, those rocks, those, all those things, they, it was the same track, but it all suddenly felt kind of new, simply because we'd switched directions. And um, so that's my prayer for you uh, and for us um, as we begin this journey through Jesus' life again, that even if it's tracked, it feels quite worn that God would just flip us around and open us right back up into to seeing Jesus as this fascinating three-dimensional <sighs> divine man that he is. So. Good. So homework for the week, I guess, would be um, to, uh, to think about those three things. I'll put them up on the blog in terms of those three tendencies um, toward whether it's buffet, um, Olympic or unanchored Jesus, where do you lie in that? Where are you kind of leaning in your reading? And where do you, what do you need to start doing more of so that you actually get into that sweet spot of that Venn diagram and, and read the Gospels as a, as, a, as a disciple of Jesus, as an apprentice? Yeah. Good. Cool. Well, yeah. so following on from that, next week we're obviously going to be starting with Matthew chapter 1, um, we might do Matthew chapter 1 and 2, which is all about the birth of Jesus. And 
You know, I realized next Sunday is the 25th of July. So Christmas in July. Christmas in July it is. So if everybody wants to come with a little bit of Christmas theme of some sort next Sunday, perhaps you want to prepare some nice Christmas food just for your own household. Obviously, we can't uh, can't eat together this year. Um, it'll be a bit of a fun time to do, I don't know, some Christmas in July, which we would have loved to do together in groups, but we can't. So yeah. it'll just have to be on screen and and doing it yourselves. So if that stresses you out, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. But if you do have a bit of extra time during the week and you feel like creating a bit of fun for your household for next Sunday, um, maybe cook some special food, you know, prepare some mulled wine, decorate, do do whatever is going to add some Christmas in July vibes for you. Good. I'll, yeah. I'll pray. Yeah, you pray. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's good. Yeah. My little announcement. It's a great announcement. <laughs> Well, Lord Jesus, uh, we we thank you that you are um, you are a reading light. You are the yeah, the, you are the light of the world. And God, I want to pray for pray for us, um, whether it's meeting you for the first time or just that need to re meet you afresh. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal Jesus to us in a fresh way. We thank you so much for this, these gospels, these accounts of your life, Jesus. And God, I, I pray that you would uh, just lovingly correct us where we need correction in how we've approached you where we've taken you for granted, where we've just kind of picked and chose what we like of you and what we don't. And by doing so, just pushed you away. God, help us to return to that place of that confession that Thomas carried in his heart. My Lord and my God. 